Hello everyone, I'm Stella. I'm Sophia. And I'm Vanessa. We host Generation Discourse. Generation Discourse is a platform for young people to come up with, share, and discuss ideas within the realm of theory and the abstract. You'll find us talking about philosophy, current events, and social concerns. You're listening to part five of our conversation on the traditional roles of women. Unlike the previous episode, this instalment centres more around how we study ourselves, modern versus historical psychology, the complexities of the home environment, individualism and collectivism. As this is the final part of this series, I wanted to take this opportunity to thank Andrew, Max and Hiso for coming on in the midst of the pandemic to have such an engaging and enjoyable conversation with us that ended up being about two and a half hours long. Thanks so much, and we hope you enjoy the closure of this conversation. And I I get the feeling that when people go back like, oh, the hunter-gatherer thing is, when they use it as points as in like, men men were like biologically smarter and stronger where the woman stayed back. I feel like maybe physically, physically could be, I guess, viable. But when it comes to like intelligence-wise, I get the feeling that in hunter-gatherer times, the women were way smarter than the guys. Yeah, and it's also interesting because the only reason that a lot of people say that the reason that like hunter-gatherer kind of evolved wasn't really from the physical aspect. It was more from the fact that, you know, if every woman got gored by like a boar or something, then the population would just literally die out. Whereas like the less like, it's true for every species. This is like when like people target pests, like they target females rather than men, males, because once like the majority of females are like eliminated from a species, it will just collapse. The species will die out. So it's a lot of like other things as well. It's just like a lot of people take it as like the hunter gatherer thing. Mm. I thought it was pretty funny, like how like, you know, even like as a joke, people were talking about like when at the beginning of the year on like TikTok or something like World War Three, like as soon as that like came out then people were making jokes about like the draft and stuff and like it's kind of like oh, yeah, a yeah. yeah part of like you know i'm actually not sure how much merit there is in the research that has determined that like women were gatherers and men were hunters because we really don't know like, um <laughs> is it based off like drawings exactly yeah right uh, and, and based <laughs> Like, or I, I, like maybe there is data and there is some sort of evidence that does it. And I'd, I'd very happily see that. Yeah. But, um, it's just sort of what it seems to be based off is, oh, we have a cave picture drawing of a big built person with a spear and a thinner person with a basket for berries or something like that. And they're like, oh, hunter-gatherer, guy-girl. But that... I don't know. I like definitely over time. Yeah. And it's also like we have to to acknowledge that like, you know, a lot of historians aren't the most like unbiased people when talking Mm. about like gender roles and sexualities and stuff. I feel like at the same time though, a lot of historians do also want to to know themselves what the times were like. So there will there will be some historians will be like go in with the mindset of oh, guys were superior back then and that sort of thing. But I feel like there are also some historians who are like, well, let's play around with the idea of and try and find other sort of angles of it. Mm. I mean, taking it back to Max, you kind of suggested that the hunter-gatherer mindset could be kind of extant in our modern world, right? Mm. And I, 
I wouldn't say that necessarily it would be the hunter-gatherer mindset specifically, but I think that people do instinctually take roles, you know, within the family and within the, like, cultural like structure that they've been given. And... Yeah. So, I mean, I think women, if they've had a child and they've um, given up that job, they will more naturally um, decide to be a homebody because they have decided that it's their job to protect the child and to kind of make sure that it grows up properly. Or, I don't know, someone who had been really encouraged doing sports as a child would probably see themselves in a more masculine light and therefore give themselves the role in their family. Of of, the... Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, that brings up a new point, which I sort of want to say back, way, way back in the podcast, um, which was like um, households and environments. And how we can't have statistics based around that because it's um, like not the greatest and you can't go into detail of every single applicant. Um, but it's a sort of with a stay at home mom and so, sort of what, what environment do you think is more likely on average creates the, how do I put this? Like the more optimal child. Is it a child in a good environment with no stay at home parent? Or is it a child with in a not as good environment with a stay-at-home parent? What sort of, I don't even know what to base it on, but like, I guess there's a progressiveness or understanding of society. What do you think would be better? And is there a mix in the middle that you'd have to get? Yeah, I'd say in the middle because you can't have like a child who has no parental influence no matter how like great his surroundings are, but also like growing up in a bad, like like you can't say that growing up in a bad situation is ever good for a child. But I personally think that like having like parents and like a stable family life is always just good for like a stable adult life, if you know what I mean. Like maybe not success, maybe not academic or career success and stuff, but like having something to base a good, family structure on is always going to be beneficial for the child and it's always like as much time as possible that can be had with the parents is going to be good for any child would you so when it comes to like a child and sort of what they grow up for their ideals and stuff it is based off their parents and how their environment they've grown up with but there are some people who grow up in a good environment and push away those ideals and go the separate way. And people who have close with their parents and some people who aren't close with the parents and still push away their ideals or accept some ideals. How, like, how do we qualify? Like what, what statistics are then of that? Like, mm. how do we, how do we put that into how we gather information about that subject? Yeah, because you can say like, oh, they're closer. If if you're closer to your parent, people say, oh, if they're closer to their parent, then they would accept their ideals more. Well, I that's I know always. a lot. Of, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's I uh, know statistics is whack. <laughs> and again, yeah, that's never, the thing. Like you have to every time you talk about statistics, you have to be like, and then like it's all void the, for the individual. The, yeah. the like, wave never, of an- anomalies that are just like. <laughs> statistics is just like I don't know man I just work here (laughs) I mean like I'll be in like psychology class right and it's sort of the are you in psychology class? 
yeah I take psychology um and you can probably tell (laughs) um and the main kind of idea that we take away from literally every study that we use is um like there is no perfect way to study humans because we are so uh variable and there's no way that we can kind of uh, take into account every single uh contributing factor but we have to do it anyway and so like every study's going to suck objectively but we have to try and so i but i honestly don't know i feel like when you're studying like gender roles and roles that people take within a family it's almost too abstract and qualitative for people to even try but i, I feel like because you know i feel like talking about this we've gone from like hard like statistics like andrew being like oh the like like psychoanalysts or like mm. the statistics and then we've gone all the way to like literature and movies and portrayals in society and like A you know theory, like, all, like, sort of... yeah like sometimes the portrayals in literature or like movies or things that we actually say like based off our own experiences can like touch a lot more people and influence a lot more people and help our understanding of like gender roles rather than a statistic asking people like a questionnaire if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like we share we share a lot more experiences than we think we do like a lot of our experiences that we think that are our own are actually like something that a lot of people have gone through so i don't know which is which is why it's like stats the the statistics and everything it has to be constant like there's so much the change in the last 20 years in itself is crazy and then people go and cite something from the 1930s or someone will cite something from 1970s and you go okay at that time that may have been true and that may have been viable Uh, where are we now to say that this still qualifies and how constant of like how, how how constant do we need to keep testing those sort of ideas and theories i don't know totally sort of, mm. yeah. i think it's not even just society that's changing i think people can kind of come up with the whole argument like you know but our genes don't change we don't like we don't evolve at this fast rate you know so kind of the human instinct and agenda is always going to be pretty constant within a lifetime. But I think people are finding that your biological makeup is actually pretty heavily influenced by the trauma that your parents have experienced or the lack thereof. Yeah. Like kind of children of war children will find that they are more likely to hoard things because they have the instinct that everything can be taken away from them at any instant, you know? Mm. And so I feel like current studies need to, um apply for that sorry new topic oh oh geez i'm just (laughs) throwing away i'm sorry um individualism being an individual and caring for your community i like Mm. to see it as like a in the times it's like a intertwining sort of like sometimes they cross over and are those good times or bad times and they're constantly just like at certain times individualism will be more the most beneficial thing for like the society and then sometimes it'll be really selfish yeah but that's the thing is where do you think we are now oh (laughs) where do you think because we're very very uh, do you think they've merged into one sort of you can be an individual and also care about your community but at the same time if you're too individual oh that's bad you're selfish you need to care about your community and then if you're caring about the community be like oh have a backbone, you know? What do you think as an individual? And the pressures around that, like, 
where do you think we are now? I mean, have you guys heard of like individualistic and collectivist societies? Before? Yeah, exactly. And I am. Yeah, I mean, like, that's what you're referring to, right? You can tell from like my debating and stuff, like my yeah. things. I, I am actually quite like an individualistic. I am for individualistic societies and stuff like that. And not really all that for collectivism. I just don't think it works that much. Like if it's in, like, I think personally when it does intertwine and it's in the individual's favor to be collectivist and to work for the society, then it works. But when they, when an individual's like instincts to, you know, serve himself and do something like clashes with like what society wants, it never really works out that well. I think I've been thinking about this recently about like individualism and like our where our um society's heading, right? Um I watched a movie recently called um Do you guys know Catch Me If You Can, Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah. Oh yes. And Tom Hanks. Yeah. So um I was I was watching that and I was just thinking like, wait, this guy, like he committed such a big crime and yet like he's almost like a celebrated figure in popular culture, right? Like now we see this doing kind of like, damn, like we're impressed with what you did. Instead of thinking like, wow, you like harmed a lot of people and probably you put bad, like bad you stole stuff. a lot of money. Yeah, like and I think I was just thinking about that. And I was thinking like perhaps one of the one of the reasons is just like um what was it Abagnale? Frank Abagnale? What he did like the biggest direct harm was probably to like big institutions like banks yeah. right um and we don't right. feel as much for these kinds of big institutions whereas like you know when Abigail was like feeling sad at Christmas like we felt for that but we didn't feel for the fact that he stole millions and billions of dollars and so I think that's just like a reflection of how our society is moving towards like caring more about the individual rather than the um, collective entity, right? Where that itself that was just kind of the David and Goliath story as well. Like against these like this like small everyday kid going up against these like big corporations and like yeah, I think Max mentioned something really interesting, which was kind of in what circumstances do those does like the individualist and the collectivist agenda intertwine? You know. Um, and I read some excerpts from this book, uh, Democracy in America, um, by this French philosopher, and it was kind of, I think it was written in, like, the 20s, um, when, yeah, Alexis de Tocqueville, I yeah. didn't want to pronounce his name, <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, he, essentially, he was, like, kind of exploring the states as this, sort of, as the land of the free, this capitalist, mm -hmm. um, capitalist, uh, utopia, and he was just baffled by the fact that so many people in this country were so sad. Um, and I think one of the things that he mentioned, which I thought was really interesting, is that despite the fact that they are so aggressively individualist, in being so individualist as a society, they'd actually dug them into a hole of collectivism because the um, kind of the narrative, the overwhelming narrative in the states at that time was you are an individual, you matter, and everything that they do and say has influence over the collective, right? And so they had this new voting system, democracy, which was working extremely well in the states, which people were kind of saying, you know, maybe we should pick up on this. 
Um, and it just turned the individual, who was an individual voter, who thought they had individual influence, into part of a collective of individuals who thought they had individual influence, because the only way that an individual could have influence was by becoming part of the collective vote. And so he was looking at this kind of complete paradox, where you have a society of individuals who think that they're really special and important, operating in such a way that the only way they can survive is being part of the collective. Duh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, they always bring up that, like, idea in um, healthcare and stuff in America, like, in the present day. Like, the only reason that healthcare wouldn't work is because Americans are so individual. Like, everyone, everyone in, collectively in America believes that free healthcare would be a good thing for all Americans, or, like, as a collective thing, it would be good for society to have free healthcare, universal healthcare. But just because of like the individualist narrative that they've always had and that they carry, like no one wants to start taking responsibility for the health of others. If you know what I, if you know what you mean, like your choices would start like in the like countries with really good universal health care. There are huge like sugar taxes, like fat taxes, things like that, because the like it starts to be like yes, you have to give up a bit of your freedom, and the country starts taking like you know, starts trying to, like, stop you from eating these unhealthy foods because everyone is now responsible for your health care. And in the U.S., like, you couldn't do that because at the moment, if you want to eat McDonald's every meal of the day or if you want to be really unhealthy and never exercise, that's your choice as an individual. But as soon as universal health care would become a thing, like, yes, it would be good for society and everyone would be healthier, but they'd also have to give up this individual narrative that they've created for themselves and like start taking responsibility for their actions. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the, you know, America like, seems to amaze me. It's constant, just wow. Because it's, America it's, is such a cool country to like look it's at. It's so good to analyze. It's yeah. so crazy. Just, it's, oh, what is my life? Because they, like, I, this so this is taking a turn. I know this was about the biological like influence. Yeah, no, it's good. Like, we want these turns to happen. It's great. But like, oh my goodness, it's it's like they're so they've in, driven that idea of freedom. That's their motto, and like land of the free. And they have individual ideas of freedom, but they've also got collective ideas of freedom. And the second you want to be like, oh, as a society we could help society and we better off society if you do this. And they're like, oh, now nah, that challenges my freedom. So I'm not going to actually do that. Mm. And me as an individual, I'll just, but if you think, oh, but it will open up doors in this area, but they, I don't know, I'm, I'm saying they, that's kind of bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The majority think, but, you know, I don't want to give up the freedom I have because... The freedom they have under a collective bill, if you know what I mean. Like the freedom yeah. they have, yeah, the the right to gun, the right to uh, like you know, the right to freedom of the fact that there's the second, that's the yeah, second yeah, exactly. one, which is the second amendment. Mm. I mean, like, it's, it's so funny because it's no one else's children who are being killed in these shootings. It's their children. It's American children who are dying in these like you know school shootings, and yet it's American people who will insist that having guns is. Pretty also, themselves. I saw someone bring up a point, and I'll be very brief with this, which is yeah. amendment means that it can be changed. Like, am amendment means like it's open to 
to being flexible and stuff. But they're like, that's the right. It's the second amendment. It's like, well, yeah, we can change that if we want to. That's what like, that's what a sort of, this this like because isn't no, like maybe maybe since we haven't had a duel in a couple hundred years like <laughs> yeah, oh. maybe since our maybe since our disputes aren't settled at sundown with like maybe someone yeah. needs to throw down the gauntlet at the national yeah. rifle association because Has isn't like second amendment been changed once by the nra was it like i don't know i think there was something about like it has been changed before i don't know because I, I know that one of them, I think it's the third, I think it's the third, I'm quoting this of a John Mulaney sketch. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the, the third one is um, like a soldier can't, you can refuse a soldier to stay in your house or a veteran. Oh, yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Which I is did. like, that's such a strange thing to say. I sort of get like, okay, yeah, sure. But like, I don't know. Why don't you guys bring that one up as much as you do the others? Like it, it shows that those can those amendments can be dated mm. and not set. Like I'm sure when it was written, yeah, that made sense. Oh, fear! I don't want a, a soldier just walking into my house being like, "I am sleeping in that bed and you can't stop me." Like I am a soldier, but like obviously nowadays you. You wouldn't have if a soldier knocked on your door and went, no matter where you were, it was like I'm wanna I need to sleep in your couch. It's not like a my right says no. You'd just be like, <laughs> morally, I'm not comfortable with that, sorry. Or you'd be like, uh, okay, sure, why not? Like it's so I think just that sort of proof of it's not right with the times. So why do you keep going back at it like it's yeah. your this is our uh script of freedom exactly and it's like it's a country built on a series of contradictions they say that they're kind of at the cutting edge of society and yet they referred to a hundred year old script they keep on kind of insisting that they have to have personal freedom but it is the very insistence that you have to have personal freedom that is preventing them from having political freedom and they as a society are stagnating because of the notion that they should be moving forward and it's so funny to watch from a distance but also really tragic <laughs> i mean it's no surprise that they're a nation built on contradictions either like the idea of the founding fathers like it's not they were like they were all chummy together and like be like let's go build a country guys and that they all had like shared ideals <laughs> like they hated each other <laughs> like they really <laughs> It's, it's very, because I've got a couple of friends in America and all the friends, and it's, I'm, I'm being biased because I probably wouldn't talk to someone who's like, yeah, pro-America, yeah, boo, boo. But like, the, the, what they talk to, they're just like, yeah, I'm not like comfortable with America is and I want change. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they've opened my eyes to, there is a big following that like wants to make America um, more open to, sort of what the ideas have been built on and how to progress and change and adapt as a society now in comparison. And there's a, it's not like a little group. It's a big, like it's a big group of people that, that want to change, but it's just sort of like, I don't know the fact that even though there's a huge group of people and it's still, nothing's happened. It's very, it's just a very interesting idea. Mm. I think part of that, I mean, I'm no expert no, on the political landscape in America. Um, but I think part of that is that 
their entire political system is based on competition. Like it literally opposes itself. You've got the Republicans and the Democrats and you're either one or the other. And they're constantly fighting for power over it. And so it's like the very worst traits of a multi-party government combined into one little present, you know? And so you can never get things truly done because you're constantly being opposed by yourself. And do you notice how, like, so little of actual, like, the political range that you could see in a country is actually represented amongst the Democrats and the Republicans? It's not like the Democrats, like, represent one reasonable half and the, like, Republicans represent another reasonable half. It's like, they both take unreasonable stances on tiny issues and nothing gets done. And it's all, like, fighting over the smallest thing. And it's a lot of, like, oh, just every logical fallacy you could possibly think of. in like a discussion like oh i love american politics i don't know and i like to think that i'm pretty unbiased right as an outside observer but i just i kind of i got really shocked the other day because i basically had my entire opinion of republicans you know being like trumpian racist uh crazy conservative people which is just unfair but i didn't really have that drawn to my attention until i saw the kind of republicans against trump video like, did you mm. see that? It went really viral, kind of. And I just immediately assumed it was a Democratic ad. And I was like, how can I just assume that half of the states is this misled and naive, you know? Mm. Yeah, like, I think half, like, people, even, like, informed people, like, debaters and stuff, like, you will go into debates and it's like America's a big example or a big stakeholder. And they just say, you know, half of them are just, like, gun-crazy rednecks and like the bible belt and the other half are just like young millennials living in la or something like that like but that that's that's also like ties in with stereotypes because when we look at those extremes we sort of i just assume that but i'm sure that there are so many super young kids on the other side and there are some old so like boomers sorry to use the word that um with the millennials saying like no no we can do with change and like we can like be progressive about these ideas it's, it's like there is a a diversity in those groups but it just sort of like i don't know it's so weird it's so weird <laughs> um i'm gonna head off but before i do i just want to say one thing which i find super interesting is with american politics i'm not i'm not like super involved but it always seems like when it comes to the end it's like don't vote this, this person's bad. Oh, don't vote this, this person's bad. And it always seems like, oh, you have to choose the lesser of two evils. Exactly. Oh, it should never be like that. Exactly. It's just, you're choosing someone to be a representative of your country. It's not like a, well, that person's a little little better than that person. No, you're supposed to choose someone. The best person ever, yeah. The best version. But because of the extremities and uh, on both sides, they don't want to listen to the other point of view. You will never have the perfect candidate, or not even the perfect candidate. A yeah, nice, it's also good like candidate. how some states, entire states, are swathed as blue states or red states, and that's just set in stone forever. You know, mm. it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Anyway, I, I will head yeah. off. Well, thanks Thank so much for coming, Max. We'd love to have you back on. This was really fun. That would be wicked. Thank you, Max. I've, I've, been, I've been schooled right now. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> just being like, damn, it opened my mind up. <laughs> like, um, but thank you. All right. Thank All right, you. See ya. Thanks so Bye, much, Max. See, see you, man.
Here marks the end of the traditional Rules of Women series. Unfortunately, us hosts are entering the IB and NCEA examination period, and though I've been spared that specific form of torture, I have a few one-off exams coming up as well. This means we'll be picking up on the normal upload schedule in a few weeks' time, once all of our academic commitments have blown over. Thanks for sticking with us. If you liked this episode, give the podcast a follow on wherever you're listening so you'll be the first to know when we upload. We'll be releasing an episode every Sunday New Zealand time. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We're Generation Discourse everywhere.